Welcome to another episode of Overlook Giants. I'm Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with drummer Trevlin Lee. There's so much I can say about the incomparable Trevlin Lee, but I'll keep this intro short. I first met Trevlin, affectionately known as Trev, in 2011, where she joined our all-female band, Fertile Concept. On stage, Trev has this superpower when it comes to drumming. I mean, she gets locked in and holds that tempo like nobody's business. Off stage, Trev is one of the chillest women you'll find with an energy of laughter and love and positivity. And she's just a warm spirit. She has played with so many phenomenal musicians and artists, it's hard to keep track. I just know I always am glad when I have an opportunity to share the stage with her. Her story is one of living and learning to become better and brighter. As women, there are some things that can go unlearned because the world feels it unnecessary or without value to teach us. Some of us go on with life, never learning how to love ourselves. Trev is the other side of womanhood that chooses not only to learn how to love herself, but allows her path to be a way for others to follow. Um, my name is Trevelyn Lee. I am 55 years old. I was born in 1963 in San Francisco, California, in the Haight-Ashbury District. Um, I was raised by two parents, um, my grandmother and my mother. Um, and yeah. Um, what else do you want to know? Uh, So tell me about your musical background. When did you get started uh, in terms of when did you know that music was something that was a part of what you wanted to do? Um, I think I knew pretty early on in life. Um, I guess consciously I knew when I started uh, elementary school. I believe it was the, the fifth grade. Um, I went to an elementary school called Grattan, and um, at that time, uh, there was arts and music in the schools um, in San Francisco, so I um, entered or was a part of a a music class, um, and the teacher's name was Mr. Flowers, and so I remember... um, encouraged the students in that class to to pick an instrument that they were interested in. Um, prior to this, I don't I don't really recall consciously that I really loved the drums. Um, but anyway, I, I chose to play the drums. Um, and so when I ran over to the to the drums and picks up picked up sticks and everything, there was a lot of boys in the classroom. And uh, they teased me and they said, girls don't play drums. You can't play drums. Girls don't play drums. And, you know, at that age, um, at least for me, I didn't have any type of self-esteem. So I allowed them to kind of bully me away from uh, playing the drums. And I picked up the flute. So the flute recorder and a regular flute and that's what I played. Um, but my heart um, was always drawn to drums. 
So in, in that process um, around, when did you finally step into playing drums? When did you find the confidence to move past the, the, <laughs> the silly boys telling you you couldn't do it uh, to, to stepping into that role? Not until high school. Um, <laughs> after elementary school, when I got to uh, junior high school, you know, I took up sports. Um, I think I was still involved in music, but, you know, sports was my thing and, and carried that carried over in, until I got to high school. And then in the, uh, between the 10th, I believe the 10th and 11th grade, um, was still excelling at sports, basketball, track and field. And one day I went over to my cousin's house. Her name is Linda Harris. Um, she used to be a percussion instructor at Hayward, Hayward State. Um, and I went over to her house one day and she had a drum set set up in her living room. And so when she walked out of the room, I jumped on the drum set and it was some kind of soul music playing in the background. And so I just started playing to the music, you know, having a good time. And in about 10 minutes later, she rushed into the living room and just, she looked at me and I thought I was in trouble because I didn't ask permission. Right. <laughs> and so I stopped playing and was about to get up and she was like, no, stay there, keep playing. Right. I kept playing and I played some more and I played some more and I probably played for a good hour and a half to two hours for her as my audience. And um, so when, when I was done, she was, she asked me, do you realize what you have? Do you understand that you have a, a natural talent to play drums? And I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't know nothing about natural abilities or anything like that. Um, so she basically told me that I had a gift and that I should use it. <laughs> So from that point on, that's what I did. Um, and I, I want to say that was my 11th grade year because I remember going back to high school and, and telling my basketball teacher that I quit basketball. I wasn't going to play basketball. Anymore. Wow. I was going to join the, uh, the music department. And he was very, he was not happy about that. Yeah. He told me I would never make it as a musician. Wow. His name was Mr. Frederick Glosser. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better call him Mr. Glosser and be like, look at me now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think he may know. <laughs> right. Right, right. So. so tell me, I mean, I mean, obviously that was um I you know, extremely discouraging being uh, just a young person trying to find your way along your path and finding this thing that is your gift, you know what I mean? And that uh, divine has blessed you with. And then having all of these people who are telling you that it can, can't be your gift because of your, your gender. Yeah. Um, how did that, how did that weigh on you in terms of, um, your confidence to be able to move forward and, and to actually be able to have a career or um, to follow your dream? How did that affect your confidence to do that? 
Well, clearly at that, at a young age, you know, when the boys threatened me, um, that, um, that affected me a lot because from, you figure from fifth grade all the way up to high school, I didn't really touch music. You know, I would listen to it, but I certainly didn't, I don't think I ever jumped on another drum set. Um, I, I played the flute until I got out of elementary school. And then in uh, junior high school it was all about sports. So I, I think it, it affected me quite a bit. And even, uh, even when I was supported and, and helping, you know, I was supported by my cousin in helping me to understand that I, I had a gift or I have a gift. I don't think I really got it even then. I, I think honestly, uh, after being on the planet for 55 years, I think I'm really un- just not coming into an awareness and an understanding of, of what a gift means, what that means for me. Um, so I, I think it, it discouraged me a lot because even, even when I got my first drum set and my, my parents, my mom was, was very supportive. She bought me my first drum set I, I think I was just excited about the whole thing. It was like, oh, I have a gift. Yeah. Oh, I can play drums. That's exciting. I, I don't even think I took into the consideration um, the discouragement um, that I received at a young age, but I do believe that it, it carried over into my youth, um, into my young adult years and and probably even today, it still does. I still have challenges with someone calling me um, like you. (laughs) Uh, Other musicians saying, hey, um, can you come play this gig? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, I get terrified. And then I start going to that place of, am I good enough? It's like, well, they called you dum-dum, but but still, it, that that fear comes up as to like, why did they call me? You know, um, am I am I good enough to actually play with this artist? You know, I know that they're not calling for nothing, but I think that there's still that in the back of my mind and in my heart. There's still that that fear. Right. Right. So let's go a little bit deeper. Tell me when you first discovered yourself as a queer woman. Like, when did you discover that aspect of who you are? I I didn't know how to define it, but I know as early as uh, elementary school, I always just like girls. You know, just uh, I didn't want to be with the boys. I like to hang with the boys and hang out with the boys. And I had you know, boy-girl experiences in, in regards to first kisses and, you know, doing some little bumping and grinding and all of that, you know, <laughs> when you're young, you know, right. just discovering what sex is about, intimacy is about, if you can even understand it at that age. Um, mm-hmm. but I knew very early on, uh, I would say maybe the... Uh, Maybe when I got into junior high school, I went to Herbert Hoover Junior High, and I I just really had an affinity for all my female teachers. So I was like, okay, there's something kind of strange about that. You know, I didn't know how to define it, 
again, I didn't know what gay was, was les- what a lesbian was, was gender loving. I didn't have any ideas about any of that because my, you know, my, my parents, my, I don't think my parents knew anything about it either. And if they did, they certainly didn't teach me anything about it. Um, so it was, it was definitely at a, at a young age, but I did not understand what it was or why, why I was that way. Right. Right. So once you discovered that this was a part of, you know, who you are, um, and, and you started developing relationships and things like that. Were you able to be out in your relationships? Were you able to be out as a, a same gender loving woman? I don't even think I knew what that meant. I just know that I was attracted to women. And um, in my own mind, I just thought love was love. I didn't know that there was any restrictions around whether you, you love a boy or you love a girl or you know, even at a young age into an older age, I, I didn't understand that there were um, rules and regulations and, and restrictions right. in the world about that. You know, I just figured right. I, I love who I love and that should be okay. But sure, at uh, in high school, I think when uh, I think when it was discovered that uh, I liked women. Yeah, I was teased about it. I was outcast. Um, and I had to find, I'm, I'm remembering, so I'm, I'm going kind of slow, but I had to discover and find, you know, women and friends who were accepting of mm-hmm. what that was I don't and still even then I don't think I had a full understanding of what it meant but I know that there were people that absolutely did not like the fact that you know they called me a lesbian lesbian I'm like what is that you know it's like what's a lesbian you know I what is gay I didn't have any idea of what any of that was but at the same time I was teased for it um, I was outcast for it and I just had to find you know, people and friends that were like-minded like me and, and didn't find what my love interest were. Um, right. Right. So tell me about, tell me about your, your first love. Tell me about the first woman that you were like, yes, this is the one. I love her. Like, this is, this is it right here. Tell me about your first love. Um, wow. Okay, see, I, I, for me, there's a difference with first love and first girlfriend. So you want to know about my first girlfriend? Oh, yeah, let's go with the first girlfriend. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay, well, I, I my first girlfriend, uh, I met in high school uh, at McAteer. I went to McAteer of Jaguars in San Francisco. <laughs> and my first girlfriend uh, was, a, she was a basketball player, somebody I met on the basketball team, yeah. uh, they called her Lefty. <laughs> okay, 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 <laughs> okay. All right, I, I smell what you're stepping in. <laughs> yeah, all right, and uh, and I was head over heels for her, just like dumb struck, like in thought I was in love because it was lefty this, lefty that, lefty, 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 and. Uh, I guess, you know, 
during that age and during that time, you know, you can only be as serious as you can be at that age. Um, But we were, uh, when we were discovered, uh, you know, by parents and siblings and things like that, there was definitely uh, uh, an intention to uh, keep us separate uh, because uh, it just wasn't allowed. Right. Yeah. So now tell me about your first love. My first love. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Hmm. Was was that good? <laughs> well, I think uh, in a sense, I feel like I've had two first loves. Okay. So I think I believe my first first love was when I felt like I had an understanding of what love was or mm-hmm. what he is, at least I thought I knew. Um, so that was out of high school. That was in uh, like 1981, 1982. Uh, her name uh, was Julie Johnson. She is deceased now. She's with the ancestors now. Um, but yeah, I fell dumbstruck in love with her. And um, I believe that you know I wanted to be out free I mean I'm a hate Ashbury right he's a love child so everything is just like let's be out in the open let's you know let's yeah. you know let's share our love with the world type of thing you know but, but everybody's not like that I came to discover um so I think yeah. that was a challenge for me because um I wasn't like out to my parents but I think my friends at that point I was out too. And so I want everybody to be out. Everybody that should be out should be out. You know, there should be no hiding, no secrets. If I want to hold your hand and kiss you in public, I should be allowed to do that. But um, for, for her, there were, there were times when she did not want to show those displays in public um, for her own reasons. And I did not understand that, you know, People are individuals just like me. Uh, so they have a right to their own understanding of, of what that means for them. And, you know, based on their own upbringing and, and friends and family and, and things like that, just because my idea is one way doesn't mean that it's the only way. And that was a, a hard, uh, that was a hard thing for me to understand. Yeah, I, that that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, so, in that in that process of discovering love, I mean, one thing that you mentioned was uh, being a San Francisco hate Ashbury <laughs> love child, right? Like, you know, I mean, in in that era of, I mean, certainly there's a, a certain type of essence that I think San Francisco Area carries um, that most that is a privilege to us and not to the rest of the world, do you think that that allowed you a, a bit more grace to be who you were and to have that that individuality and to be 
and to not be as afraid of being who you were? Um, yes, I think, um, I think it certainly helped a lot. Again, you know, I wasn't raised um, to even know about same gender loving people. So I lived on the street called Cole and, and, and Frederick. Well, I didn't know until I was like 15 or 16 that five minutes away was the Castro. I didn't know what the Castro was. I didn't know nothing. Yeah. And so my best friend, Tracy, you know, she was definitely out in high school. So she, she took me to the Castro one day and it blew my mind. <laughs> I was, it was like a whole nother world. And it was right. five minutes away from where all I had to do was drive up Cold Street, make a left when I got to the top. And in five minutes, I was on marketing Castro. And when wow. I saw Castro, I was like, whoa. Because, you know, as, as a youth, you know, it's not something that I saw, you know, coming up in my own family with the, the friends that I had had at the time. Um, so lo and behold, you know, I get these new friends as I'm starting to age and, and come into an awareness and an understanding of, of you know, who I am. Mm -hmm. And then my friend takes me to this, this place right down the street from my house. And it's just all these gender, same gender loving people. And it was like, wow. So I think that it certainly uh, helped me um, in regards to even understanding who I was, you know, what loving a woman even meant and what that looked like. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say San Francisco, um, I'm, I'm very blessed to have, uh, been born and raised in San Francisco, being a native of San Francisco, and have been privy um, to what I feel like is a, a it's like a privilege um, to understand our world um, mm -hmm. and what it is and what it means, um, and to stand in that truth and not let anybody define it. Um, because I feel like if it was anywhere other than San Francisco, I may not have had that discovery so fast. Right. Do you feel like um, in terms of the fact that you weren't really privy to what it meant to be lesbian or even that language, um, did religion have anything to do with that in terms of your family dynamic? Was that, was that a part of, do you feel like maybe that was a part of the reason why that you weren't introduced to yeah I think it was a part um but at the same time I just feel like my parents my parents were from the country so you know they migrated to California because my my grandfather was in the service so I don't mm -hmm. think that they even knew anything about you know being a lesbian or gay and if they did they certainly didn't certainly didn't know the terms and they probably had no idea that that's who I was Right. Um, but yeah, my parents were raised in the, you know, Baptist Christian. And so, of course, you know, of course, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of judgment, a lot of perception, a lot of opinion um, around that book called the Bible. 
and how uh, Christians should and should not live their life. So although it, it wasn't, those values weren't forced upon me, um, they were definitely present though. Um, mm-hmm. And re- not in so much in regards to my own family, but to, f- to friends of my parents. Right. So tell me, tell me, we're going to go back into the, the aspect of love. So tell me about your first heartbreak. Like the first time you just, you lost that, that love and you just thought you were just going to die. <laughs> you know how you were going to make it. Like this. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, that was in 2013. So all the relationships that I had prior to that, I, I feel that while I loved those women and I loved those individuals, I don't really believe that I was in love with them. Mm-hmm. I believe that I was in love with them to the degree of w- what I thought I knew about love. I knew how I felt. Um, but I don't believe that I was really, really, really in love with anyone in, until I, I, I met my ex-wife. Mm. Um, and so I was, uh, I was um, like elated when I met her in, uh, I think it was like 19, hold on, I gotta look at my wrist, my tattoo, cause. <laughs> Uh, see, we were married in 2003, and um, the reason that I, I I chose to marry this person is because I thought it would that that was my life soulmate. I thought that that relationship would never ever end. Um, I felt like in this physical body that I'm in now that uh, I have been with this person not only in this lifetime but in other lifetimes and so it was a no-brainer for me that I wanted to take that that big major step and you know marry the person that I felt like I was going to be with for life Um, but um, in 2013 uh, when that relationship was on its way to being separate and ending, um, it was probably the most devastating thing I've ever gone through in my entire life. It was, uh, I was in a dark place for a long, long time. I just, I didn't understand what was going on, why it went on, um, if I caused it single-handedly to go on all by myself. Um, and you know, it was the end of my world, yeah, or what I thought was the end of my world. So I was in a dark place for a long time, almost maybe more than a year. But it was actually, uh, in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me, um, mm-hmm. because it. Uh, opened up the way for me to start loving me. And I don't think I ever 
started loving myself until that happened. Yeah, because I had no idea what that was. I wasn't taught or raised to love myself. So I had no idea what that was, what it looked like. I heard talk of it. I heard people speak of it. And I thought that, you know, all these years that that had been what I had been doing. Um, even mm -hmm. in that relationship, I thought that that is what I had been doing, but I actually put that responsibility on somebody else. Not knowingly though, just, mm -hmm. I didn't really understand that until long after the breakup, what self-love is all about. And I'm, so I'm still on that journey right now. Um, and I'm doing a very good job of it, but I, I had no clue <laughs> to right. what, what that was at the time. Yeah. And that's completely understandable. Um, so we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about um, your experience just as a Black woman. Um, can you recall a point in your life when you became aware of your race? Yeah, I think I was like 12, maybe 11 or 12. Um, I was in San Francisco at, at home. It was a hot day and I was outside on the porch with a good friend of mine. And, you know, we were just outside shooting the breeze, chilling. And all of a sudden, two paps in the neighborhood rolled by in a car. And... Uh, so my friend, they had the window down. And so my friend, um, she was, you know, when they passed, she was like, oink, 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 you know, basically calling them pigs. Yeah. And so they backed up. They got to the stop sign and they actually backed up and they stopped in front of us and they looked at both of us and they were like, um, I don't think that that's necessary. I didn't call you a nigger, did I? And mind you, this was a, there were two cops in the car, but one of them was black. <laughs> the one that was driving was black. And the oh. one in the passenger side was white. It was the white cop that said, I didn't call you a nigger, did I? I was like, wow. Uh, wow. So that made me very aware coming from a, an authority that is supposed to protect the public and not necessarily from comments, but to hear that from someone that's, you know, supposed to be law abiding and, you know, an officer and a policeman and all that. It was, it was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, especially being a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, so do you feel like, you know, your race has been a, a, a factor in terms of your, a, I mean, either side, your advancement and or um, in, in any way a, a restraint for you in terms of your artistry, in terms of your career? Um, you know, because I'm such a love child, I don't, I don't really recognize those <clears throat> types of experiences and, until they actually happen. Um, so I think um, 
over the years since I've been blessed to actually be able to um, be a paid artist or be an artist, period, and do what I love, um, I think I'm very blessed to have not had a lot of experiences um, with that. Um, yes, I do believe that I've been affected by it, um, but but not a lot. I mean, I've, there's certainly that stigma of still to this day, uh, you know, girls don't play drums, women don't play drums, but, you know, as you see in the world today, there are more and more and more and lots more, you know, female drummers out there doing big things and doing it professionally. Um, so I'd like to say that, you know, perhaps some of some of these women out there now that, that are younger than me could possibly be standing on my shoulders in regards to what I went through to make it easier for them to come through. Being in a male dominated industry where there's this expectation of, uh, especially for women of color to be over-sexualized, do you feel like those encounters have been uh, a major hindrance to your uh to how you qualify success? Well, again, I, I've had a few, but not many. And I think, uh, I think primarily it is because um, I, I haven't been like the leader of a group. Yeah. You know, I've just been one of the added musicians. So even being in all female bands or, you know, playing with a, a group of all women, I have not personally had to deal with that on the business end. Um, a group that I was in called uh, After Six, and we had actually flown down to LA and the potential was there to be signed um, to a label and everything. And so, yeah, we had to take, we had to take, you know, pictures and, and all of that. And the stuff that they wanted us to wear, like, it, you know, like high heel shoes, um, these skimpy little uniforms that just primarily showed all of our body. Um, and then all this makeup, yuck. I mean, just everything against my own personal values in regards to how I would present myself as a musician or just, you know, in person on the regular. And I was like, wow, I don't know. I didn't want to do the shoot, but as a group, you know, it's exciting to to potentially be signed to any label, you know. Um, so we kind of had to comply with what was looked at in regards to, you know, what a what a all-female group in those days would, would look like. But that was somebody else's perspective. But that was... That was that old sex sales thing. Um, right, yeah. So, and, and you know, what, what we dressed and, and, you know, how we presented ourselves in terms of our clothing had nothing to do with our artistry, absolutely nothing. So I did have those encounters, but I didn't have a lot of them. But it certainly didn't feel good, you know, when it was presented in regards to, you know, having to do that to make somebody else happy, to make them notice you. It's like, why?
Right. So tell me about, um, tell me about what inspires you as a musician um, to continue to, to stick with this uh, career that is oftentimes rewarding, but sometimes not. <laughs> um, what, what inspires you to, to be the drummer that you are, to be the musician that you are? Um, I think right now it's just other musicians. Back in the day, it, it used to be watching other drummers, um, whether male or female, and just seeing that spirit come out of them when they play and wanting to, to capture that in my own essence. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of gotten away from that so much because there are times now when I feel like I, I want to hang up my artistry. It's like, as a matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I'm gonna play drums anymore. But then every time I get to that point and I feel like I get serious about it, I'll get a call. And it's like, can you come do this? And I'll be like, eh. But then I'll do it. And so it's like, that's kind of like my sign and my cue that the universe is saying, you're not done yet. Right, right. Um, so I would say now that just musicians that know me and that appreciate and respect and honor my talent, um, I still get phone calls. So that's kind of what inspires me to say, okay, um, you still got it. Whatever it is, you still got it. So go out there and, you know, give it to the world, do the best that you can. And, and that's it. Cool. So we're going to do, I'm going to do one last question. This one is the big question here. <laughs> All right. So I've asked this question to so many different people and, and everyone has asked, uh, you know, answered on so many different levels, but, um, the question is just simply, what does love look like to you? Um, yeah, that was one of them. I had to contemplate that. I'm, I'm still contemplating that, but I think, I think today what love looks like to me is, is, is loving myself first because I'm definitely clear that I cannot love anybody else without loving me first. Um, and so that that is love on all aspects. That is loving me physically, loving myself spiritually, loving myself in regards to, you know, what I would want to do for a person um, or for the next person that comes into my life. And so every absolute thing that I would want to do for them, I have to do it for me first. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, yeah, it is absolutely, now that I understand what, what self-love is, um, I, I just recognize that that is something that has to be, first and foremost, start with me before I can give that intimately to, to anybody else. And so it, it could look like a lot of things, um, but it looks like, love looks like loving me first. In, in all aspects and in all areas of my life. 
Ashe. Um, I do have one more question. If, if you could offer any advice to any young woman that's coming up, um, and especially in this, in this society where it seems like we're sort of regressing in some ways around uh, the hatred and the anger that um, just seems to be permeating all across this country and really all across the world, um, what advice would you offer to a, a young woman who finds her gift and her passion in the artistry and also finds that she has this uh, likeness for women? <laughs> Um, what type of advice would you offer that that young lady uh, in terms of how to really walk in this um, in this environment and and to find themselves and to find love in that process? Um, I would offer that never let anyone define your art. Never let anyone define who you are and who you think you are um, in any moment because you're, you're always gonna be discovering who you are along your journey. And so, you know, if you're 10 years old, you know, you know who you, you feel like you know who you are at 10, but trust me, when you get to 20, you're gonna feel like you're a completely different person at 20 than you were at 10. And so whoever, Whoever that you are or who you feel like you are along that journey of your own personal life, let that, let, stand in that freedom and in that truth by yourself. Don't, don't let your parents, don't let your teachers, don't let your friends, don't let your mentors define who you believe that you are in any moment. And in regards to whoever it is that you love, you have to be okay with that, um, regardless of, of who who that is. So if you know if you're a same gender loving person, um, you know, or if you're heterosexual, it, it doesn't matter. Everybody is is gonna be somehow have some sort of a judgment or an opinion about who it is that you love. You mm -hmm. can't help who you love. <laughs> you really yes. can't help who you love. So regardless of who that is, um, you have to stand in that truth as best as you can um, in regards to you know what you know about life in those moments. And, and don't let anybody throw you off a track or tell you who you can't love. And that should not be by religion, by spirituality, by your parents, by your friends or anything. You, you define your life and your love life the way you see fit. All right. I'll say to that. Well, thank you so much. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to this interview with Trevlin. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she has coming up next. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed, one love.